I can't get no satisfaction. Welcome to the Keep Calm and Defibrillate podcast. This episode is about patient satisfaction. This is an inflammatory topic in healthcare, and we'll address it in the concept that the patient's satisfaction is closely connected to our performance and to the quality of the medical care being provided. Stay tuned. This is the first of two episodes on I Can't Get No Satisfaction, or why patient satisfaction can be great for making your job easier and more satisfying. Now, wait a minute, Dave. A a whole bunch of doctors have told me that patient satisfaction is just a scam made up by some government agency to judge us and withhold payment to us. They say that all that's important is the quality of the procedure they perform. If you diagnose the patient, do what's right medically, then what does it matter how the patient feels about whether you're sweet and personable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 why, I have to watch your ugly swing in golf. I know you don't really swing that way in the ER. Uh, years ago, we were taught in emergency medicine, I am here to save your ass, not kiss it. <laughs> Doctors were almost expected to be brusque, and nurses were there to care. But in the past 20 years, there's been a push from hospital administration to push everyone to deliver customer service. This is, especially early on, was met with with providers digging in their heels and getting angry, saying, how dare they interfere with my dealing with my patients? I've been doing this for years, and I know what I'm doing. However, there's a considerable body of science that shows that compassionate care leads to better outcomes and importantly for us, less burnout. Most importantly, it leads to a better day at work, which is why we're doing this podcast in general and this episode in particular. Uh, okay, so really, Dave and I both have for decades been convinced of the importance of considering the perception the patient has, and for that matter, the perception of their family and of the general public regarding us. Let's discuss how important this is and why it's important. Dave, Tell us about patient satisfaction surveys. Well, uh, two of the most dreaded words to a lot of doctors are press gainy. Uh, and as your nerd research showed, there are two Notre Dame professors who made a survey in 1985. And it became a clinical measure, a critical measure in healthcare used by center, uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, known as CMS until 2012. Still roughly 40% of hospitals, about 10,000 facilities, still use it for feedback. In 2002, CMS and others began to study another measure of patient satisfaction, HCAPS, or the Hospital Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers. It was formalized in 2005, and they started to use it in 2006, and then publicly released in 2008, CMS changed in 2012 from using Prescani to HCAPS. Now, some of the measures of patient satisfaction, whether they're formals like Prescani or HCAPS, or informal, such as running into people in the grocery store who thank you or mention how well they are or their kid is since their visit to the emergency department or urgent care, these things can help you judge how 
you and your team are doing. Two points which always are brought up when addressing surveys is number one, the surveys rely on data from voluntary responses. And many people argue that the response is bimodal. In other words, the responses are more likely to come from people who were either really happy or probably more frequently from people who were really unhappy with the care and the interaction uh, they had with the healthcare team. And while this may be true, the same response characteristics uh, are gained from voluntary responses from person to person and from institution to institution. And the second thing that they bring up is that this is a measure of patient's perception, not reality. Well, we argue that to the public, perception is reality. Just as there's no accounting for taste, uh, you know, people go out wearing the outfit that they think looks good to them, even when we might disagree, you cannot argue with a patient's perception. It is what it is. However, if you get consistent indications that people are unhappy or conversely that they're quite pleased, it probably does indicate the general impression the team is making on people. Uh, of course, there are always outliers. Uh, you can't make everybody happy. And some deniers of patient satisfaction use this uh, to try to convince themselves that the 90% negative responses they're getting are the outliers, that only nasty people respond. But this just can't be true. You have to be concerned that you have a problem if all the negatives are coming in month after month. And you've got to remember that to the patient, their perception is reality. They're convinced that how they remember the visit and how they feel is the absolute truth. Often this doesn't uh, relate directly to the actual medical outcome. Yeah, one of my favorite stories was told by uh, an RN uh, who who does some management speaking, Liz Jaswiak, in a management book I read years ago. And she talked about how they were going to institute kindness as a core principle uh, of, of their customer service program in the hospital she was working. Talked about it being a tough inner city uh, hospital with really rough clientele. And, and as a manager, uh, she had this one really grizzled uh, veteran RN who was tough as nails and, and a really superior clinician. She was the one who all the other nurses went to when they had a clinical problem because she would know what to do and how to do it. But she exuded toughness to, to the patients. And when ma- management told her she ought to try kindness, she responded, you don't understand. If you're nice to these people, they'll sense your weakness and they'll walk all over you. And after further venting her frustration with the manager, uh, her manager said, listen, what do you got to lose? So the RN agreed to pick a week that she was going to do this, much to her chagrin. uh, And she actually picked the week and the time frame she was going to do it because she wanted to announce to everybody that she was going to do this during this week so that they didn't call the psych department and have her committed because it was so atypical for her. Well, the week arrived, and and the RN manager told, uh, and she had told the, the, the manager that this is the hardest thing she's ever had to do, and she started. Uh, a patient arrived with a sore throat for several weeks, and you know how all of us react when somebody comes with a minor sore throat for two weeks. Uh, you know, her usual reaction would be, be to so your sore throat became an emergency today. 
but instead, she was playing the game. She said, I see from the triage note that you have a sore throat for several weeks. That's got to be unpleasant for you. Now, after I get your history and vitals, the next thing during your visit, I just, I'm going to call Dr. X, and he'll come see you. Dr. X is a board-certified doctor and has been doing this for years. She, uh, in, in student management terms, she managed the doctor up, even though she didn't particularly like him, but she, she felt him to be a competent doctor. She, she explained that the doctor was extremely busy, but that he would get in within an hour. So the doctor came in, did a strep screen, which was negative, and wrote for the patient to take Tylenol. Uh, the RN went back in and gave Tylenol and the discharge instructions, and she said, is there anything else I can do for you? And the patient looked at her, and he said, no. But, but i got to tell you, I, I, w- I came in here expecting a fight. I don't have a doctor, and, and I know this isn't an emergency, and, and I feel bad about being here. Uh, but, you know, I, I know I should have a doctor, but, but I, I always put it off, and then I get something, and, and I feel so miserable, and I, I start to get scared that something's wrong. Uh, and I came to the emergency department expecting you guys to treat me like crap, but instead you were so kind. And I can't thank you enough. So the nurse basically just almost dropped over. She was basically willing to give the guy anything at that point because he was reacting so kindly to her. So the manager hears about this, and and about midweek, uh, she goes to talk to her, and, and she said, you know, how's, how's being kindness uh, going? And she said, well, I chose the wrong week to do this. And the manager said, what do you mean the wrong week? You, you, you're the one who picked it. She said, yeah, but I, I chose the week uh, to be kind uh, to the miserable people that we normally see. But as luck would have it, this week, the patients are really nice and appreciative people. <laughs> you know, the moral of the story is, you know, if you actually treat people well, they react well. And I think that's something that we all need to remember. Right. And the... Other thing that I like to point out to people is that one of the uses of survey results uh, is their utility in an ongoing quality improvement program. Uh, Ideally, we should be engaged in a process of trying to continue to improve every day from how we did the day before, and this can only be accomplished by having an idea of how we're doing. The other way the surveys help us with this is to identify problems or what QA experts call opportunities for improvement, which we may not even know were a problem. The largest problem should probably be addressed first, and then the second largest, and so on. Yeah, and as you and I have talked, you know, we're we're big advocates of having some kind of dashboard, some kind of a visual representation representation of how we're doing. Uh, regular feedback. Unfortunately, a lot of times, what hospitals do is they'll send quarterly uh, summaries of the uh, of the survey and quarterly, um, you know, notes about what the complaints were. And most of us, I mean, you and I are old and senile, and somebody comes to us uh, a week later, let let alone four months later, we're not going to remember what it was that was going on. And we need that. I mean, Pavlov, back in the early 1900s, understood uh, stimulus and response, and and we're all that way. I mean, if we get feedback on a regular uh, basis, it's really helpful. You know, I, th- I think we tend to respond very well to that kind of feedback and to actually change based on that feedback. Uh, let's summarize a little bit here. Uh, patient satisfaction uh, and these surveys relate to 
quote, how well, end quote, the patient was treated. Uh, it relates not just to the quality of the medical care, although it actually does reflect that, but also how the patient feels about how they were treated as a person. And many facilities are paying attention to this, not just because it affects reimbursement, because they're using these surveys like age caps uh, to decide uh, whether or not you get full reimbursement for your visits, but also because the facilities are beginning to feel that it's important to know how the patient perceives the care that they were given. Patients are demanding a louder voice in their overall care. Uh, we're asking them to sign uh, consent forms with informed consent and all that. And this kind of propagates the consumer mentality of the uh, patients. Measuring satisfaction gives us a snapshot of the patient perceptions as a group and as individuals. And patients who trust their caregivers have a better outcome because their compliance goes up, their questions get asked and they get answered, and their education about their disease is better retained. Uh, so overall, perception is reality to patients. Uh, if they perceive that you're doing well, they believe you and they do better overall because they're more likely going to follow your instructions. Yeah, so as a team, we should commit to continual improvement in whatever it is we're doing, scientifically or interpersonally. You know, the most scientifically advanced and the most consistent uh, proficiency in procedures. We should also commit to responsive and compassionate care in the same vein. Uh, this latter emphasis on compassion and humane care is perhaps best measured by patient satisfaction. Not only can we get an idea of how we're doing, we can monitor if changes in, it, in the attempts of what we're doing are, are actually working. The bottom line is that we, we can use patient satisfaction to make the whole team work better, make the work we do better, and make our own perception of our work better as well. So... That explains a bit about why patient satisfaction scores are important, what they are, and how they're obtained. Uh, but beyond that fact, third-party payers base their reimbursement on them. But important to us is how can we use these things to improve our work overall and thus improve patient satisfaction. Uh, we haven't talked much about the specifics of what we do that improves patient satisfaction. And Dave and I will uh, address that a bit in the next episode, part two of I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Uh, we thank you for listening and we'll be back in the next episode.